We've done this a hundred times. Where you been? Welcome into the Hawkeyes live right here at the Voice of College Football. Appreciate uh, all of you who join us each and every week. It's Tuesday at 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 where it counts. Corey Brad is here from the Hawkeye of the Storm, of course. That is your destination for Iowa athletics, football, baseball, basketball, men's and women's. Corey, how are you? Good. Iowa's been riding a nice recruiting surge over the past month or two. And I think a week ago at this time, we said, well, the, the biggest need left for Iowa is DB in the 24 class. And they've landed two DBs in the past seven days. So uh, never count Phil Parker out. You just never worry about that position. I don't know how many times I've said that on this show. Um, but uh, Jalen Watson, Rashad Godfrey, a couple of guys that have been added since our last live show. And um, I, I know Jalen Watson, really good high school wide receiver. You just trust Phil Parker to identify talent. And again, you see the, the crop of schools that Iowa battled out for both of these guys, and it's pretty typical. The Louisville's, the Cincinnati's, the Minnesota's of the world, uh, West Virginia, that's a kind of a short list of, of Jalen Watson's offers. And then uh, as far as Godfrey's concerned, Duke, Boston College, and then a bunch of uh, group of fives, FCS schools. So uh, that class is getting... Pretty much in place, Mark. I mean, you're just going to be filling holes from here on out. And obviously the portals become more and more of a factor with recruiting. So it's, it's you know, things are going to change. And guys can opt out. Guys can decommit between now and December. I think last year we had one decommit in David Calker. So that's always possible. But Iowa's done a nice job in this class. And it's always good to feel like you can go into fall camp I would think as a coach. I shouldn't say that. I think as a coach it would feel pretty good to be able to go into fall camp feeling somewhat content. You're never content, but feeling somewhat content with the class for the next year. Because I, I just, I mean, there's so much on these coaches' plates, but to be able to focus on this upcoming season once you get to August, is, I think is important. And that, you know, the students are wrapping up their recruitment early anyways, and that that's good for Iowa. Did they not have another decommit flip of significance last recruiting cycle? We don't talk about that one, Mark. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that. That was on, what was that? Was that the day before signing day? Was it that? Yes, it was that uh, close. Signing day, yeah. I don't even and, think about uh, that one because it was so ridiculous. But yeah, yeah Walker, uh, he flipped earlier in the cycle, flipped to Iowa State. So that one, uh, if he had been a more sought after recruit, boy, that, you know, it's interesting, Mark. You don't, you didn't hear anybody really whining about David Calker flipping to Iowa State. Isn't that interesting? Now, I understand people will come up with excuses of why it was different with Caden Proctor. Oh, he was, you know, he waited until the last second. But the bottom line is he's a five-star recruit that everybody was drooling over, and that's why fans were so upset. Had he been a two-star recruit that flipped at the last second to Alabama, nobody would have cared. And it was somewhat hypocritical for fans to be upset about that and yet to welcome guys like Tegan Davis with open arms. And, and you may say, oh, you commit, who, you know, he's committed to Eastern Illinois. Well, he was committed to Eastern Illinois, and I think a day or two before signing day, he decommitted and flipped to Iowa. So it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black. I believe Caden Proctor's mom uh, quote tweeted my tweet about Tegan Davis shortly before uh, signing day about, the hypocrisy behind that. And I'm, I'm not taking sides with anybody. I'm just saying the reality is fans are going to act how fans are going to act. Caden Proctor had every right to make that decision. Uh, the, the thing about it is, Mark, looking at the 24 class, there's really nobody left out there that I was in the running for that's going to bring that sort of 
publicity and pressure in this class. So I think fans will be somewhat relaxed heading into signing day. Again, we don't know what's going to happen with the transfer portal by the time we hit December. Um, but for the most part, I mean, uh, the, the top recruit in the state is likely headed, it sounds like, to either Nebraska or Kansas State. Iowa's basically wrapped up the rest of the state. And it's just it's a solid year in the state of Iowa, but nothing like Xavier Wampa, Caden Proctor, like we've seen in recent time. And Proctor is most likely going to start for Alabama this year. Is that, the word on the street? that good. Is that the word on the street he is starting? The word on the street is that that he will start or be a significant backup. Yes, he's impressive and he's fulfilling <laughs> all the thank you <laughs> hopes and desires. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> I I kind of surmised that from some of the scuttlebutt around the spring game, the spring practice, open spring game for Alabama. It sounded like he looked really good. Yeah. Um, in the public forum, public eye. And, and just to confirm, because every time I see that athlete designation on these recruits, I go to the expert like yourself, because that typically 90% of the time, that means that player is playing wide receiver and defensive back at that level in high school. More often, we're seeing tight, tight end and linebacker being an athlete. Uh, but But you're saying that he will be a wide receiver at the next level based on everything you gather Jalen Watson. No, uh, he's both these guys are projected as DBs. Okay. As far as I'm aware. Okay. Um, Jalen Watson was a productive, he's a little undersized and he's 5'11, 175. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, both these guys project it at corner. Uh, now, Godfrey's a little bit longer. I think he's, let me see what 247 sports has him 6'1, 6'2. 247's got him at 6'2, a buck 85. Um, but I was not been afraid. I mean, Julius Brents, TJ Hall, a couple of examples of longer DBs, longer corners, I should say. So maybe Godfrey ends up playing safety, but I could see him on the outside. Uh, so both these guys probably project as corners. And usually once they end up at, at cornerback, they don't go to wide receiver. Like I've noticed that with I and I don't know. That'd be a good question for Don Patterson back in the day when he coached. If he saw a lot of if there were just more transitions from offense to defense than vice versa. Because we've seen DBs, or excuse me, we've seen wide receivers switch over to DB if they're not playing. You would think with some of the depth issues in recent time at Iowa, maybe you'd find a, a cornerback to switch over to offense. Um, you know, perfect example is, uh, was it Devontae Young? Uh, wide receiver who started, I think, first game in 2017 against Josh Allen in Wyoming and kind of disappeared the rest of the season, eventually transitioned and became a pretty productive uh, special teams guy in DB. Um, and same could be said for Devin Hilson. He wasn't a wide receiver, but he's a running back. He's now in the defensive back room. So I don't know if that's – I'm a little surprised that they haven't maybe experimented more, but maybe they just don't have the skill set. I've, I've, I've tossed the name A.J. Lawson out there. He's a guy who – he's on scholarship, but have not heard a peep about A.J. Lawson seeing the field anywhere. And he's been on scholarship, what is this, year three for A.J. Lawson? So like someone like that, like if you're suffering at wide receiver and maybe Iowa did enough, they feel okay at wide receiver. You hope the injury bug stays away, but that would be the type of guy I look at and say, well, maybe he switches over. So I guess my point is uh, my guess is Godfrey Watson stay at DB and we'll see if it's corner or safety. So, so Godfrey is playing on the junior college level, correct? Is that what I'm seeing here? No. So if he's the, lowest rated player in the class and he's 11th oh, oh, oh sorry missed a one there i was gonna say 11th at his position no number 111 
Okay. Three ones are answered. All right. <laughs> Got that. Because way, sometimes if you see a number that doesn't make sense and then you see, okay, he's a junior college player, that's the reason the ranking doesn't fall in line. Now let's let's uh, acknowledge something. These are two guys from well outside the state of Iowa. We've talked about Iowa's dominance uh, within the borders, but they've done a nice job in Florida. Credit to, I think, Liddell Betts. And uh, I think Kelton Copeland still has some some draw down there. Um and then, of course, uh, with Rashad Godfrey out of Ohio, they've done some good work. And they pulled him away from uh, a good Big 12 school in, in Cincinnati from his home state. So I believe he had Cincinnati on his list. Maybe he didn't. Let me look back here. Um, no, Jalen had Cincinnati on his list. No, no, Jalen's the one from Toledo. I get him mixed up. Uh, so anyways, they, they've been really solid within the state of Iowa, but it's good to see him kind of get some success. And they, of course, landed the kid from defensive end uh, from – the Phoenix area here recently as well. I think that was a uh, primarily a win for LeVar Woods, who I posted a video about yesterday. Yes, you did. Yeah, I, I'm just tracking these uh, commitment lists. I find those interesting. The best school on Jalen Watson's would be Penn State. Got an offer from Penn State as well as a, a lot of other solid schools, Power 5 schools. Yeah, so LeVar Woods, uh, I will be posting a video here running down who I believe uh, should be in the running for Pat Fitzgerald's position. I've got 29 names on this list. Uh, it's a bit extensive. And, and I'm going to touch upon each and every one to some degree. But it, no, it's not going to be a 50-minute video. Now, I did see where you posted concerning LeVar Woods. He was brought up in the conversation that we had on the Big Ten Live show Yesterday, and you addressed, uh, of course, the work that he's doing uh, there in Iowa City and what type of candidacy he has. Don't want to give away your video uh, because we want people to head on over and, and check out the video. But you, you felt like it needed to be addressed, obviously. I did. And, and by the way, let me just throw one more thing out there before we move on to LeVar Woods. Iowa has now so far they've swept the board with the kids that came on official visits on June 23rd. And I am, I've say this all the time. I'm no, by no means a recruiting expert. Um, but the individuals that visited, everyone is committed, but two, and, and they're both still on the board. Xavier Lucas, uh, another DB out of Fort Lauderdale, who's got a bunch of really good offers. Frankly, I could see him again, not being a recruiting expert, but based on his offer list, I could easily see him getting a fourth star by the time he commits. I mean, he's got offers from literally like everyone, uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Iowa, Wisconsin, Alabama, uh, but he did visit. That would be a huge win for uh, for this staffer, Abdul Hodge and, and Phil Parker that were in on him. And then Chima Chiniki, I believe is how you, I don't know, that's how you pronounce his name, edge rusher from Plano uh, with another solid list of offers. A lot of Big Ten schools, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. He also visited both those guys undecided. So, boy, if you land those guys, that's one of the the greatest uh, weekends in recent history for Iowa football recruiting. Uh, as it relates to LeVar Wood, did you have something to add there, Mark? Now that you've stated all that, I do have a question for you. Sure. Because I do believe, as I've stated before, that the further you go down the rec recruiting rankings, the less meaningful the ranking is. You know, being 28 versus being 42. Not that there's not separation there. Most likely... 
but it's probably minimal. And it may actually turn out that 28 should be 35 and 42 should be 32. Uh, I, I just think the separation is minuscule as you go down the rankings. So me looking at my team, I think it's much easier for me to evaluate a class because of the expectations. How are you and how have you in the past evaluated an Iowa recruiting class? Because I think for you, it goes well past this recruiting ranking. Um, and, and now you're looking at certain targets that you just mentioned and maybe an expectation of how many of those they get. So you're, you're asking me how I weigh rankings and what I'm seeing when I watch film of these guys? Just, just basically how you evaluate Iowa's recruiting hall each year. What are those indicators for you to come on here or on your platform and say, great recruiting class or solid recruiting class or, hey, down year? I've said a, a number of times, you know, stars don't matter. Star ratings don't matter. That's true and it's not true. I think you and I both agree that the people who are ranking these kids have a better idea than you or me uh, how these kids stack up with the rest of their class. So I'm not for a second going to act like the star ratings mean nothing. However, we looked at a stat last week about how Iowa in the past, what, eight years, eight draft classes, they've drafted uh, six three-star or less players in the first round of the NFL draft. So, I was thinking about that too, Mark, in, in the last few days because you and I had a really uh, in-depth conversation. And uh, I was a little bit adversarial last week toward you. A little bit adversarial. Uh, I don't know why I got I got my feathers ruffled a little bit, Mark. Uh, and I'm not apologizing for getting my feathers ruffled. I'm not going to do that. Uh, if you asked me to, I would. But anyways, uh, the reason I bring this up is because you and I have two very, very polar opposite perspectives on a lot of things, including, I think, how you build a program. And I, I can see it from your perspective, and I think it's harder for you to see it through, from my perspective because Iowa is so abnormal. you know. And that's kind of, as Iowa people, that's what we know. But like six guys in the past eight years that were three-star or less recruits being drafted in the first round is so insane. It, you know, in comparative to the rest of the conference, I think Penn State had one. And, and I'm sure the rest of the country. I, I didn't see how Iowa stacked up at the rest of the country with that stat. But comparative to the rest of the Big Ten, that's so abnormal. But it's typical. We, we, we are used to being able to say, oh, star ratings don't matter because they develop guys. And that's credit to Phil Parker and the rest of the staff on defense and certain spots on offense, tight end, offensive line primarily, but that is not the norm typically. So I acknowledge that rankings do matter, and you're obviously going to be excited when you can be on the radar for four- and five-star kids, and Iowa has struggled to develop at skill positions. And so being able to rely on rankings, not to say that Iowa is going to be strictly relying on rankings, but when you see Iowa in the running for a four- or five-star skill position player, that's going to get you even more excited. So, first of all, I don't believe that we're polar opposite on much. That's that's a pretty extreme position. You're an Ohio State. You're, an Ohio, you're a college football guy, but you literally follow a program that could not be more polar opposite than Iowa. Although Ohio State develops guys, you're going to be you're going to be the type of guy that falls back on recruiting is the most important part of college football, right? Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It's the most important part of college football, and I think you're probably right. I know that's such a generic statement to make, but I think you're probably right. But for Iowa fans of the last 20, you could argue 43 years, 
Yeah, it matters, but not nearly to the extent that it matters almost everywhere else. So I, I don't want to get to a point where semantics are ruling the day because we don't want to go there. They always so, do. So I, I, I want to make this meaningful. Like, like this is a meaningful difference. I, I get your point. I respect your points as always. I actually think Ohio State's more of an abnormality than Iowa. Okay. Be, because there's only two schools in the country that recruit with them. That's fair. But my point is the other school, there aren't many schools that can recruit at the low level that Iowa does according to the rankings and still compete at the level they recruit at. Usually you recruit at a level, that's where you compete. Like the Rutgers of the world are finishing lower tier of the Big Ten in recruiting and in results. The Ohio States and Michigans are recruiting at a, the high end of the Big Ten and they're finishing at the high end of the Big Ten. Like that's what I'm saying. It's I'm not saying everybody's getting five and four star recruits. I'm just saying usually you are what your recruiting ranking says you are. Yeah, I, I do think that there are other examples out there like sure. Iowa, Wisconsin, Kansas State, and a few others. Very true. Yes. And, and, and that stat of how many guys have been drafted in the first round is not all inclusive because Wisconsin is a developmental program. You think about what Michigan State was for years under Mike D'Antonio. Um, so, And actually, it was you who brought it up before I did that you were impressed with Ohio State's number considering they've signed the least number of three stars. I guarantee that it's not even close than the rest of the conference. Those numbers, those top two rankings, if anybody missed that, go back to our show last week when we discussed that, that stat. But the top two results are equally as impressive. Iowa with I'm six. I'm not going to debate that. No, I mean, they're just for two totally different reasons. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're both unbelievably impressive for two totally different reasons for two totally different type of programs in eight years of the playoff era and those eight drafts i'm going to guess that ohio state signed they only had one last year they only signed one three star so they signed like two or three every year and a lot like of that eight. era was under urban meyer and they were well yeah. they've always recruited well right but i don't think recruiting was any how many three stars a year was urban signing that's what I'm saying there. They've, they've been either number two to five every year. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly what those numbers are. I just went, as soon as we both made that point, I was curious and went to last year and they had won. So I'll, I'll sum up what you asked me with this with Iowa. There are positions and, and, and I view it kind of like tiers, right? Where rankings, you know, I'm going to raise an eyebrow to a star rating or ranking of a player more so based on their position. So DB and tight end, I, I hate to say this, I almost don't care. I couldn't care less why, you know, what these guys' rankings or ratings are because Iowa, I mean, look at TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. They, they turned into two of the best tight ends in college football. They were both drafted in the first round. Neither one of those guys had a four- or five-star rating next to their name coming out of high school. I mean, TJ Hawkinson was from the community of Sheraton, Iowa. So George Kittle, same way. Didn't end up being a first-round draft pick. He may be the best tight end of the league right now. So, like, tight end's not a position I worry about. DB is absolutely not a position I worry about. So those two positions, you're, you're just rock solid on. I am much more concerned with Iowa being able to compete at a higher level from a recruiting basis 
at wide receiver, which they're rarely able to do. And when they have, they've unfortunately lost some guys like Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, etc. It's very rare that Iowa can find a Charlie Jones. Now, he was a transfer, but he was a, a no-name transfer that Iowa brought in. That was a diamond in the rough, but it's so rare that you get one of those and that Iowa is the team, that the program that spots one of those. <laughs> so so that's that's where I would stack this up. And then there's other positions throughout. I mean, I have no doubt Iowa knows how to develop offensive linemen, but not to the level that I'm confident with DB and with tight end because they've struggled. I mean, they've recruited a number of linemen over the past four to five years, and we've discussed this, that have completely flopped. I, I don't need to name names, but... They have not developed. Some guys are out of the program. The clock has ran out. The hourglass has ran out on these guys. So I think anybody, even though Kirk Ferentz is thought to be an O-line guru, there should be a bit of a damper in faith in his ability and the Iowa program's ability to evaluate talent or develop talent. And I think those two things go hand in hand. Because Iowa, more than likely, when they're looking at a guy, they're looking at, is this a guy we can develop? Obviously, they're not ready to take the step right now, but can we develop them in two to three years? That's that's a science, and Iowa has done well at times, but in the last few years, they've struggled at that position. Quarterback, they've always struggled developing. So, yes, I mean, quarterback is such a unique position, but I would say star ratings typically matter. I do think Marco Linez is underrated from a national standpoint. He had good offers, didn't have great offers. I know Minnesota offered him after he committed to Iowa, and he stuck loyal to his commitment, had Rutgers and a few others. But, uh, yeah, that's a it's not, recruiting is a science. And I, I, I do make that statement at times that rankings don't matter. They do and they don't, if that makes sense to me. And there are different uh, categories of science, of course. So Iowa has proven to be very adept at being, let's say, the chemist, but they are not the biologist because if if, if it was so that they would move their their scientific knowledge to the offense and address that, uh, but they've not been able to to, to do that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's part of the. We go full circle. That's a big part of the excitement around the Iowa program this year, is because they added people at positions where they've struggled to recruit and struggled to develop. And we're talking about Cade McNamara, who's by no means Robert Griffin III or Johnny Manziel, but he is a proven winner, a proven game manager, a solid, solid game manager quarterback who knows how to play the game of football at a high level, has done so, won championships. And then Caleb Brown, Ohio State product, uh, Seth Anderson, not as proven, but has has great bloodlines. But those two, I mean, it's Caleb Brown and Cade McNamara. This season, success of this offense are going to be hinging on those two pieces, along with the run game as a whole, as it always does at Iowa. If Iowa can't run the ball, it's going to be hard for anybody to function. But even if they do run the ball, they're going to be limited if they can't get better play other wide receivers. Uh, before we move on to LeVar Woods, uh, Ari says here, star rating is about potential. Absolutely. Yes, it is. It's all about potential. How fast can you run? How quick are you? How strong are you? How explosive are you? However, that usually shows up on the football field at the high school level as well, but not always. It doesn't mean that two wide receivers playing in the same conference in high school, one could have caught 100 passes and one caught 30, and the the guy that caught 30 is a higher-rated player because he is athletically more gifted. But that giftedness usually shows itself. 
This comment, on the other hand, Aaron says, no star rating. Uh, nah, star rating is about a player's ability to step in and play day one. So he's, so he's, he's saying argument. it's not. No, I I think he's arguing with, with our other user, Ari Gold. Because Ari oh, Gold's okay. star rating so, is about potential. Okay, I misread this initially. So I, I agree with this as well. I do too. You, yeah. you could you could draw a direct line, not every year, every team, but ninety percent of the time, if you took any team and you went from their top rated player to their last, and you looked at their freshman playing time, you'd see a correlation, absolutely. And you know what I've done? I've only been running this channel for a few years, and I just never really followed recruiting that that closely before, and I still don't follow it to the extent that a lot of these people do out there. But like you asked me how I look at recruiting classes, every year I've noticed that I've got a couple of guys that I'm like, okay, this is the guy to watch for. And, and I just, even regardless of rating, like this year in 2023, well, 2020, I'll give you a better example. 2022, I remember saying, and this is easy for me to say this now. It's convenient. But I did say it. We can go back and listen. I said that, that my biggest dark horse from that class was a guy named Addison Estringa, who was a 1,000-plus ranked player out of what what little town in Wisconsin. But he's a tight end, and he played as a true freshman and is probably going to be really good. Now, he might not play a whole lot this year because they brought in Eric Hall for one more year. But he's got a chance to be really good. And obviously, Iowa saw that in him. When I watched him on tape, I thought, man, this kid is way, way... He just looks better than he's ranked. Um, they're just guys that pop off the 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 screen. Even when you're just looking at highlight film, you cannot judge a kid <laughs> based solely on five minutes of highlight clips. But he's a guy that I remember saying, man, this guy's going to be the real deal. I think Marco Linez, it's, it's a harder position to predict at Iowa. But... I've been very high on him. And if he doesn't work out at Iowa, I'm going to probably take some flack because I've been on the Marco Linez train for quite some time. Uh, in 2024, I'm pumped about Brevin Dahl. And I, I mean, I know the stigmas out there. Like, he's a white running back from Iowa. But there's something about how he plays, Mark. There is something about how he plays. And again, I don't even know what he's ranked. I, I'm assuming he's a three-star. I don't know where he ranks nationally or really even in the state of Iowa, but there's something about him. And, you know, maybe that's just intuition. Maybe that's gut feeling that it'll eventually deceive you. But that's how I look at classes. It does feel like 2023, once they lost Caden Proctor, 2023 became a class of raw talent. And whether you're talking about Grant Leaper or Dayton Howard, guys who are physically gifted, had almost no other high major offers and interest and I was taking a chance on them, especially with a guy like Dayton Howard, who's a wide receiver. But given their physical upside, you could see that paying off, or you could see it not, because that's happened before as well. So I don't know. I, f I feel like each class kind of has storylines, and once Proctor decommitted, it kind of changed the dynamics of the 23 class. Dahl is the 28th rated running back in the nation, which is okay. one spot higher than a Michigan uh, recruit. And yeah. a Clemson in the thirtieth spot. Yeah, and, and like I said, he's he's. I know this is it's, it's just a stigma, but he's a white dude from Des Moines. 
I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, the way he runs, the way he runs is different. It may not work out, but he's a guy to watch for. Yeah. If he was playing linebacker or offensive tackle, then that would be fine. No one would raise an eyebrow. Uh, before we talk about LeVar Woods, uh, folks, you might be interested in checking out the Michigan podcast with Steve Dace. We just recorded a few hours ago. Kirk Ferentz does come up in the discussion. And uh, Steve unveils his... He's got a way about making predictions each and every season, throws them at me to get my take, my response. I find them interesting, amusing, intriguing. And uh, again... Uh, Iowa plays into those predictions. But again, Corey, you posted a video uh, in the aftermath of Pat Fitzgerald's firing on Monday concerning LeVar Woods' candidacy. I was trolling on your chat for longer than I think I ever have before, Mark, yesterday during your live show. I enjoyed that. I'm not usually a, a, a live chat guy. So go ahead. I was just going to say, I was just having a conversation with somebody before we came on and I had to explain to them. And, and I know you, you hold the same position. I have nothing against other podcasters, but after I've worked this all day and done my own content, usually the, not usually all the times, the last thing I want to do is take in football podcasts. Yeah. So I, I was, I was uh, chastised to a certain extent for not knowing my competition. And I said, well, it's just the way it is. <laughs> knowing your competition, why would you? Well, I won't go down that road. Anyways, uh, so as it relates to LeVar Woods, you and I, you know, I called in during your live Big Ten show yesterday. And as I called in, that news broke, which I thought was kind of funny that Pat Fitzgerald had been relieved of his duties. And, you know, I, I'm I'm sitting there talking to you live and, and I'm thinking, okay, Jim Leonard, the name you brought up first, obviously Lovey Smith came into my mind. He coached at Illinois and was the big 10 recruiting stuff. Obviously he was a successful head coach with the bears, but that one just doesn't, I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I just, that one doesn't really, there's, there are some connections to be made there, but I doubt that happens. I brought up Matt Campbell. Let me explain why I brought up Matt Campbell because I think there were some people later in your show that were like, why would he leave Iowa State? It's not necessarily as simple as some people make th these things out to be like, Matt Campbell was coveted two years ago. He had a chance at the Tennessee job two years ago. There were rumblings about him maybe being the next guy at Ohio State. But since then, that program has struggled. They went four and eight last year, and he's not on the hot seat. However, we have discussed how... Iowa State has struggled in the recruiting trail in 2024 within the state of Iowa. There's no question about it. You look at rankings. I know we just kind of downplayed some rankings, but the, the rankings, when you look at how much Iowa's dominated at the top within the state, it's pretty impressive and somewhat damning for Iowa State. So my response to that is it's just purely speculation, but things can change. Would it make sense if Campbell had an opportunity to jump to a Big Ten school, albeit Northwestern, that maybe with the changing landscape of the conferences and the decline that it appears that program is on right now, they've got gambling issues they're sorting through that will result in some suspensions this year. I can tell you that for a fact. I, I just, you know where I'm going with this? Like, I wouldn't be, that wouldn't be an outlandish or foolish move, in my opinion. 
it might be an opportunity if Northwestern still looked at him in that light to say, hey, I'm going to go before I don't have a place to go, right? Like in a year, if they have another four and eight, five and seven year, he might be on the hot seat. As crazy as that sounds, because Iowa State fans tend to worship Matt Campbell, but he might be on the hot seat if that happens, and rightfully so. I mean, you can't, Iowa State is not Northwestern. Uh, it's not Vanderbilt. Although those uh, Iowa State is not a power, at some point, there, has, there have to be standards. And if you're winning, you know, four to five games a year, that's not good enough. Paul Rhodes found that out the hard way. I'm just saying, I don't think that will happen, but I would not, if Northwestern were interested in Matt Campbell, if I'm Matt Campbell, I'm at least taking that phone call. Yeah, you can make an adjustment of your expectations. So when Matt Campbell took over Iowa State, they were winning three and four games a year. He quickly lifted them to seven and eight wins a year. And there was hope there that that would continue and they would continue to ascend. Well, they plateaued in 2020, going to the Fiesta Bowl, winning nine games that year, nine and three. Uh, and and they, have, they have fallen back since then. So there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, great job. You got us to a point, but now we're regressing. We're not moving ahead. We're actually regressing, and now it's time to move on and find the guy that can move us to the next level. Mike, by thank way, you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Mike. So, by the way, uh, I don't know if it's the same Aaron that we have here on our live show, but I'm going to I'm gonna take a little shot at Aaron because he was, again, maybe not the same Aaron, but somebody was named Aaron was on my channel earlier today. And his response to my video about LeVar Woods possibly being a prime candidate for the Northwestern job was this. He says, zero chance. If you were looking at assistance, Heartline would be number one, more likely Paul Christ. My response, first of all, I don't see Paul Christ taking that job. And I don't think, would you right now, would you place Paul Christ ahead of even LeVar Woods? Like Paul Christ is may, maybe, those guys to me are on the, on the same tier right now. Paul Chris is not some coveted name out in college football world. They're on the same tier for completely different reasons. Completely. Paul Christ is a safe choice. He's he's hit his peak. It, it would be surprising to me whether Paul Christ ever ascends to the level of a Wisconsin job ever again, where LeVar Woods is on the ascent. By the way, Aaron says it is the same Aaron, so I've got to be careful with uh, how much I rip into him here, Mark. So I, I just responded to Aaron. I said, look, Heartline is out of Northwestern's league. And I believe that to be true. And his response was, well, he's a wide receivers coach. He's not out of their league. Well, he's also the coordinator. And yes, uh, Aaron brought up the amount of money that he could potentially be making. I don't What was Fitz's salary at Northwestern toward the end? Five million? Yeah, maybe a little bit more. So I, there's no doubt that you're going to be making more as a head coach at Northwestern as opposed to being the OC at Ohio State. But as I responded to him, it's not just as simple as saying, well, he's going to make this much more at Northwestern, so why would he not take the job? Mark, you tell me if I'm wrong on this. If Brian Hartline sticks around Ohio State for another year or two with a $1.6 million salary, which I think is what he's at now that he's the OC, he that that is like the number, well, maybe not number one, definitely top two or three in the country as far as um, – assistant coaching positions in college football that could potentially make a leap to a high major job, kind of like Ryan Day did. So I'm just saying, like, you have an opportunity. Yeah, he he could jump to North. If they pursued him, maybe Brian Hartline jumps to Northwestern 
And, you know, maybe he succeeds there, but if he doesn't, because he doesn't have much talent and, and he's re- he's been really good at Ohio State with a lot of talent around him, the crop of receivers he's had there has been incredible and give him credit for developing them, but he's not going to have that at Northwestern. Uh, he's just, yeah, he's just not. And I, I guess I'm just thinking if he goes, to, if he were to go to Northwestern, you could potentially kind of derail things early in your career. Am I, am I making sense? Yeah, if absolutely. There, it could be hard to recover. Yeah, there are certain times in which you've got to look at an, at a situation, both the current situation for the coach and the proposed situation. And it's not just the standard, okay, well, he's a position coach or he's a coordinator and he can go to a power five head coaching job. Usually that's automatic. Absolutely. You make that jump, but there are exceptions and that would be one of them. There are people out there that believe Ryan day is short lived at Ohio state either by if he breaks through and wins a national championship that he's off to the NFL or I I've had this posed to me by a few people that are solid football commentators that say, does he get fired if he goes 10 and two? I was going to say, I think he could jump, make the jump to the NFL, even without winning a national. I don't know why he's got to win a national title to jump to the league. Just if he has the thought that, you know, I want to accomplish that at this level and then move on. But you're right. He he doesn't have to. It may be a situation like what we almost saw happen to Harbaugh here a couple of years ago. If they're, not quite hitting expectations and he's starting to feel some pressure. He may just start taking some interest in NFL jobs and leave. That, that could always happen. And, and maybe Brian Hartline would be next guy in line. Maybe he wouldn't, but there's a, there's a lot of stress that comes from being a head coach. And I'm not saying there's not stress being an, a coordinator, but look at Phil Parker. You don't think Phil Parker's had opportunities. I guarantee you he's had opportunities to at least interview for, Power five head coaching positions. I would be shocked, shocked beyond belief if Phil Parker has not had those on the table. And I do believe that it's not been Phil Parker not being a good enough candidate. I think in the end, he's just decided he's comfortable with what he's doing at Iowa as a DC. And I respect that. And he he and Brian Hartline are totally different people. One guy's older, one guy's younger, coached opposite sides of the ball. They're different. But I'm just saying it's not, it's not always black and white like that. And I just think, I just think, do you think Brian Hartline's a candidate for Northwestern? I think he may be uh, one of their candidates, but I completely agree with you. That's a step back. He doesn't need to take that step. He can do better than that. There's no reason to take that risk in your career. It, what you're talking about and Phil Parker and what it appears as though he has decided for his career is very much. I liken it to what I experienced in corporate America. People are really good at their job and some of those people want to go into management. So we would see people ascend through the organization. And I did when I was first at my last job and for the first two or three years. And then I went into management. Other people, they want no part of management. They, they, they're really good at their job and either they're not going to be good at management or they just, they don't want that pressure. They don't want to have to deal with people and making those kind of decisions. And it's the same thing here. If you are at your very core, a football coach and you want to be on the field, you want to be drawing up X's and O's. You want to be teaching players technique and schemes, and you don't want to have to talk to the media and be held responsible and going to the booster clubs constantly. 
in all that and in running the org, being the CEO, those are two different jobs. And although Ohio State doesn't lose much because they win so much, yeah, Ryan Day gets a lot of credit, but everybody seems to love Brian Hartline. He goes to Northwestern. He becomes a villain to a lot of people. And I'm not saying that's that go that's going to be a priority on his decision making list, but I'm just saying they're just two different, totally different animals. I think Northwestern is better. That's why I think LeVar Woods, although I can tell you for a certainty, and I've heard this over the last 24 hours from people well connected to the program. I had one source tell me that LeVar has made it clear to his unit and to parents within the unit that he is sticking here as long as Kirk is here. But again, things change, Mark. Like, things can change. He, he may not have anticipated when he said that, that he's going to get a Big Ten job offer. I don't think many people saw the Pat Fitzgerald firing coming down. And I wouldn't blame LeVar Woods if those things change. You can't just assume, you can't lock a guy in just because he says, well, I'm content now. And, and also, here's their part of this. And I said this on the video. If people want to go back and watch that video, I encourage you to do that because I kind of ran through a bunch of different criteria of why I think LeVar would qualify for that job. LeVar also has a son, Mason Woods, who's already got an offer from Missouri, already got an offer from Iowa. He's right there in Iowa City West. He's a 2025 guy. Maybe LeVar would like to be his coach. I mean, you know, he, he can maybe coach him on special teams at Iowa, but uh, if Brian's going to stay the OC and Phil Parker's going to stick around as long as Kirk's there, then then maybe LeVar doesn't get that opportunity to be his position coach or at least be his head coach. So those are all things that I, I, I think about. I mean, I have hesitated because you know I'm not some LeVar Woods homer. People have brought his name up for the Iowa job, and what have I said? Whoa, let's let's hold the horses on that. He's never called plays. You've got a potential of being able to go after guys who have unbelievable experience at the SEC level like Mark Stoops or even a guy from the Big 12 level in Bob Stoops, uh, potentially a guy like Brett Bielema who's coached in the Big 10, coached in the SEC you got all these proven commodities. Why are you going after a guy who's never been a position coach, been, been a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, or a play caller? So I've pulled the brakes on that. But from Northwestern's point of view, they don't have the luxury of saying, well, we might be able to pick from Mark Stoops or Brett Bielema or Phil Parker. They don't have that. And LeVar Woods is a, I think he's a very uh, intriguing candidate for that job. And he's done well in the past recruiting in the Illinois area, in the St. Louis area. I, I, I know it's a different animal recruiting to the standards of Northwestern academics. But his, his upside is real. He's a young guy at 45, but he's also 45. Like at some point, if he wants to be head coach, which he does, he has been on the record in saying that, at some point he's going to make a jump. And if Kirk you know, sticks it out longer than we all expect, I wouldn't expect LeVar Woods to stick it out for another, another four or five years. We've talked about uh, the challenge facing Iowa in, in the new landscape of the Big Ten starting in 2024 with no divisions. But Iowa's still going to be, we would think, extremely competitive and in the mix. Northwestern, this is a school that's won two Western Division championships, made it to two conference championship games. And this is, there's no question right now, this is the worst football program in the conference. And it just got worse. 
And now with no divisions, what is the hope of them getting any better? On the plus side, for an opportunistic person out there, this is an opportunity to be a hero. And we've talked about pressure, and every coach in the Big Ten has pressure, but this has to be the least amount of pressure in certain respects because you get to come in. This football team has been terrible the last two years. So you're expected to be terrible. You have to clean up a mess. You have to move on from there. I think they need somebody who's very declarative in their statements, a great communicator, somebody strong that completely detaches from everything that went on prior. And then, you know, they, they have a mulligan for year one. It doesn't matter what they do. If they go two and 10, that might be like, let's throw them a parade because they're going to be awful. And unless Paul Chris just has the mindset of, I want to get back at Wisconsin and I want to resurrect my career. There's no reason for him to come out of coaching, come out of retirement, excuse me, or whatever he's in right now to coach at Northwestern. Now, LeVar Woods, that could be a spring, like a springboard. You look at what James Franklin, his storyline, Northwestern's one of those programs. I think you'd agree with this, Mark, like a Vanderbilt, that if you can win there, you become a commodity. I mean, Pat Fitzgerald had an opportunity to be a head coach at Chicago for the Bears after what? A, what, 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 did, what was his record prior to that? Wasn't it a losing season? Didn't he get offered after a losing season? Yeah, I think he did after five yeah, and seven years. So the fact that that's that's what I'm saying, like you don't have to we don't have to win national titles at Northwestern. It's going to be hard to compete there even harder now that we're out of we're going leaving out of the division format. But I, I think what you said is true. And for a guy like Lavar, you know, maybe he looks at it and if Northwestern was interested in him and he looks at it and says, no, I'm going to stick around, stick around here. I feel like I can get a better power five job when I'm ready. Maybe he'll do that. I hope he does. I like LeVar Woods. I, I don't want him to go anywhere, but at the same time, I'm just saying I would not blame him at all. If he were to entertain that, who knows if Northwestern, I know there's been a lot of respect between Northwestern and Iowa. Now some of that's been from Fitzgerald to Kirk and vice versa. So I don't know if, if he's even on their radar um, I saw somebody tweet out and it might've just been totally ridiculous, but uh, somebody said the BYU head coach could be in consideration. Is that legitimate? Have you heard this? So this is another case. Uh, uh, no, I I've seen it brought up and Bronco Mendenhall has my utmost respect. I think he's a tremendous football coach and he coached at a very, uh, academically minded university in Virginia. And had never coached east of the Mississippi. His entire coaching career was out west. And it was a strange fit uh, from that standpoint. But he did wonders at Virginia. And But he's a very balanced man. He's not one of these, you know, I coach and think football 24-7. So he got burnt out and said, I'm spending time with my wife. We're doing things that we want to do. I would like to coach again probably someday. So he's been removed for a few years. So, but I think he can do better than that unless he again wants to have go to a school where academics come first and he still feels he can be competitive there. And by the way, I wasn't talking about I was not talking about Bronco Mendenhall. I was talking about BYU's current coach. Oh, Kalani Sataki. Yeah, that's the the name I had some somebody threw out there. Don't know if there was any legitimacy to it. But Bronco, I saw somebody in there earlier in the chat brought up uh, Mendenhall. 
there's also this situation with with AJ Henning. So there's the former Michigan wide receiver that we both talked about moving to Iowa for obvious reasons. And now he apparently tweeted something out that wasn't overly harsh, but to basically say kind of like, really, this is what's going on. Kind of like the, you know, hit the, the forehead kind of deal. So he may be looking to get out of there. Based on, I, I'm not saying that shut that down completely. And I, people have been bringing that up for the last 24 hours. And back when we talked about it, when he entered the transfer portal initially, I can tell you on good authority, based on what I was told when he initially entered the portal, I don't think he and Cade McNamara as, are as close as maybe people want them to be. And I don't believe that he was ever real high on Iowa's radar. We'll just say that. So I know a lot of Iowa fans, they want A.J. Henning to come to Iowa now that Pat Fitzgerald's gone. I doubt that happens, folks. Now, never say never. They played together, and I'm not saying they have a bad relationship, but I'm just saying I don't think that uh, maybe he's been given as high of an endorsement as some people want that to be perceived, if that makes sense. I would doubt A.J. Henning. If he enters the portal, I would doubt he comes to Iowa. Hawkeyes live, folks, every Tuesday here at the Voice of College Football. And we get together at 5.30 Eastern, 4.30, where it counts. Please join Corey at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm, where he covers uh, the Hawkeyes each and every day. And again, folks, uh, with by far the most people in here the entire hour, keep in mind that uh, when we finish up here, just go back and watch the portion that you missed. Uh, so we've got about 120 on the line. So again, check out uh, the portion that you missed because those numbers just soared here in the last 15 minutes. Let's see. We're sitting here on July 11th. And so we're two weeks away from Big Ten Media Days. So we're going to be gearing it up, folks, when it comes to position breakdowns, opponent breakdowns, of course, getting into fall camp and responding to everything that's stated uh, in talking season here in a couple of weeks. I'll make a request for you. I don't often do this. See if you can get Levi on next week. Okay. Because even we don't have to preview Iowa, Iowa State. But Mark, I'd like to talk with him about recruiting. I'd like to talk with him about Matt Campbell and I'd like to get his perspective on um, the gambling situation. I, I think those are all relevant to Iowa. They are all relevant to Iowa. By the way, can we address this one other chat before we go more miles per gallon? This is a fair statement and let me be devil's advocate or play the other side of this for a second. He says, not trying to be snarky, but could someone please explain why coach Woods is always mentioned as a potential KF replacement? I'm sure he's great. I just don't know where this talk comes from. Again, I have been very bullish on my opinion on that, that I don't think he should be even top three on the list, in my opinion, as of right now. Until he's proven himself somewhere as a play caller, I'm not just going to anoint him as the next head coach. At the same time, let's acknowledge why people are so high on LeVar Woods. This team has been exceptional on special teams under LeVar Woods. I mean, exceptional. Maybe the best unit in the country. And those things may be hard to measure collectively, Mark. But you think about the kick, the kicking game um, at Iowa over recent years. Keith Duncan, Miguel Racinos, Caleb Shudak. Um, I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Well, Drew Stevens currently. Um, 
you you look at Tory Taylor at punter. The punt game has been phenomenal since, well, for the most part, it's been really good. There were a couple of years there at the beginning of LeVar's tenure as special teams coordinator where they struggled, and you saw them go with some trick plays that oftentimes worked. I give them credit on that. They oftentimes worked. But once they figured out the punt game, they've been they've sustained that with Tory. They've been really good in the punt return game with Charlie Jones, and now they got a budding young guy in Cooper DeGene who looks to be heir apparent at that position. They've been solid on kickoffs, although kick returning is so much less of a part of college football than it was 10 years ago. Uh, but I think they got a good one in Caleb Johnson or whoever they run back there. Long snapping's never a problem. Holding's never a problem. Like they just, they're just exceptional, kind of like. Phil Parker and the defense. They're basically solid everywhere every year. And when your guy's 45 and he played here and he was a good special teams player and he's respected across the country, there's a reason why he's probably going to be a head coach someday. But I do agree that I don't think – I think we're it's premature to assume that he he's the guy. He's just – because of, of that resume, he's the best candidate for the Iowa job when Kirk Ferentz retires. Now, in five years – if Kirk if Kirk waits until 27 or 28 to retire, I don't think that's going to happen. But if he does, and Lavar has gone somewhere else, or maybe he's taken over for Phil Parker by then, then yeah, he's he's going to be at the top of my list, assuming he's performed well wherever he's gone. But uh, that's the, I just wanted to explain that because I am not I'm not ripping on Lavar Woods. Um, I think he has potential of being. That's why I think Northwestern would do really good at looking at them at him. Excuse me. I think that would be a wise. What is your thought? I mean, I know you're not as connected to Iowa, but what are your thoughts on LeVar Woods to Northwestern? Is that where would he be on your list based on your expertise? As I mentioned before, I wrote down 29 candidates and he's included. I did not. Did I put him in the top 10? Still have to produce this video, which is going to be some kind of. Uh, monstrosity to put together. I, I did not include him in the top 10. So yeah, I, everyone says great things about LeVar Woods. And I do think that most of this is transferable, meaning you don't have to be a, you know, a group of five coach to proceed your status as a power five coach. You don't have to follow you know, people that are capable, people that are natural leaders and have developed their leadership skills, who know how to organize, know how to, again, lead, communicate, that those are most important uh, beyond the, okay, technicalities of calling plays. Shoot. Um, hire great offensive and defensive coordinators. I guess somebody would be out a job then automatically, but... <laughs> Well, Kirk Ferentz is an example of a guy who I don't think ever called plays formally before he went to Iowa, and he's been yeah. very successful. So it's not a rule, but just typically a head coach has has a background of calling plays. Um, I also think that the, the the factor of Northwestern no longer being a built-in game every year m might make him a little bit more comfortable taking that job. I mean, he's an Iowa guy, right? He played here. Um has coached here for a long time, has worked his way up the ranks, but I, but that happens all the time. Where yeah. where guys where guys cannot automatically become the head coach where they they played and coached on 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 staff and they have to go somewhere. And many times within the conference there's a zillion examples of it. And that doesn't show that they've 
betrayed the school or anything like that. That's still where their heart is and where they would ultimately like to land. I'll say this, not that I want to lose LeVar Woods as Iowa special teams coordinator, but it is sort of fascinating to think if Kirk is here for two or three more years, if LeVar can go to Northwestern and, you know, prove himself as a head coach for a couple of years at this level, doesn't have to win eight to nine games a, a year, but if he can just prove himself there, and then in a couple of years you've got a list and and whoever the next AD Beth gets has a list of potential candidates and it reads Brett Bielema, LeVar Woods, Mark Stoops. That's a pretty good start, Mark. I'd say that's a pretty darn good start. Three guys who have succeeded at a high level at the, not only Power 5 level, but at the Big Ten slash SEC level. I don't know that LeVar Woods is there on my list until he proves himself somewhere. So you don't want him to go to a a rival school, but they're not going to be a, a... every year play for Iowa and it may hurt Iowa as far as the transfer portal. I could see a couple of guys, you know, I'm not saying LeVar Woods is going anywhere, but if, if LeVar, if we found out next week, LeVar Woods is accepted the, the job at Northwestern. I don't think it'll move that fast, but if it did, you could probably, you're probably going to see a couple of guys enter the portal. So that would hurt, but that that's just kind of my thought process on, on the situation. In terms of more content uh, that's connected to this topic, uh, we discussed this on our USC channel uh, last night. So, folks, you can check it out. Um, Basically, we brought to the table who is going to be the toughest uh, coaching uh, matchups for Lincoln Riley and his staff coming into the Big Ten. Not, Not the toughest teams to beat. Those are obvious. The toughest coaching matchups, certainly Iowa, was prominent in our discussion. All right, folks, uh, Voice of College Football here from the Hawkeye of the Storm, Corey's work on that channel. Please check it out if you're not familiar. And shoot, everybody here should be familiar. So from the Hawkeye of the Storm covering Iowa athletics every day. And again, the Voice of College Football, we've got a Nebraska show coming up in just a few minutes, 7 Eastern. And then on the main channel, we've got a 7.30 Eastern time Texas show as well. So Big 12 media days are this week, so I'm going to be brushing up on the Big 12 and have wow. a ton of guests uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and thir- or Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday on the Big 12. All right, Corey, thank you so much for making this uh, possible. We'll talk to you next week, Mark. Thanks.